One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter 12, Professor Umbridge. Seamus dressed at top speed next morning and left the dormitory before Harry had even put on his socks. Does he think he'll turn into a nutter if he stays in the same room with me for too long? asked Harry loudly, as the hem of Seamus's robes whipped out of sight. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So Casper, as always, we have a few announcements before we hop into the episode, but we also have a special guest to give one of our special announcements this week. Hi, Ariana. Hi, Casper. Hi, Vanessa. So funny to be back. It's like a time warp with the three of us on Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. I've just got a little announcement before you start the episode. Okay, fine. I'm interested. Remember that time we spent five years together talking about Harry Potter? (laughs) It's all coming back. (laughs) Fondly, actually. Well, we haven't done that in a few years. I think we should maybe do it again. Okay. In Cornwall, England, with a handful of pilgrims walking around beautiful countryside talking about Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, my God. What do you think? You mean not in like a closet with no air conditioning (laughs) in the communications office, but like in one of the most beautiful places in the world instead? Yeah, I thought maybe we deserved something a little better these days. You don't think we should invite 15 pilgrims into the Harvard Communications Office? (laughs) I think when they were listening to you all, they were imagining you in the beautiful countryside and were recreating their imagination of the podcast. That's right. From the 15th to the 19th of May, 2024, we are going on a pilgrimage with the beautiful book three, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And we're going to read it through the theme of escape. So if you're in a place in your life where you're having escape fantasies, where you want to think about radically changing everything about your life, this is the perfect trip to go on. Ariana, Vanessa, and I will be co-leading this experience. We'll be walking every day, reading every day. You'll have a session with one of us for chaplaincy. It's going to be a beautiful experience. So go to readingandwalkingwith.com to book your spot on our next pilgrimage. We hope to see you there. Thanks for stopping by, Ariana. Oh my God, thanks for having me. We just have one other announcement, which is that our Every Flavored Bean conversation this week is inspired by Fred and George's teenage ambition to start their own joke shop. You and I are going to be talking about what we wanted to be when we were teenagers. 
And it might feature the story about Anna Wintour. So we'll save that for later. (laughs) Okay. It also might not. Everyone, you can (laughs) listen to that conversation and get so many other perks, including ad-free episodes, by signing up at patreon.com slash Harry Potter Sacred Text. Vanessa, you have a story for us on this week's theme. So, Casper, our theme this week is context, and I'm going to tell a story about my dear friend Tom. Tom is amazing. He's a biologist, and he is doing cancer research. And for a while, early in his career, as is often true when you are a postdoc in a lab, he had sort of like the dirty, boring work of his lab. And for him, that was paralyzing mice in order to test the efficacy of certain drugs. And when Tom came into this lab, he had to kind of psych himself up, right? He was like, cancer research is important. Of course, it's terrible that we experiment on animals, but like, I feel really passionately about the work that I'm doing. And, you know, he had come to terms with this, but he did sort of have to remind himself of the context of what he was doing, you know, on a, on a daily basis. Eventually, he'd worked in the lab for long enough that it kind of shocked him that like, he didn't have to do that justifying work anymore. He was like, now I just see this as part of my job, right? Like, I log in, I type a few emails, I have to paralyze a few mice. And he, like, kind of got disturbed about himself. He was like, wow, does the context not matter? Could I get used to anything? And he was curious about it. He was like, this feels bad to me, but, like, honestly, this has just become something I do at work, just, like, cleaning. So one day on a Saturday morning, he was alone in the lab and he had to, you know, inject a few mice with this paralytic. And he thought, okay, let's test how far this has gone. How normalized has this become to me, paralyzing mice, right? Like in other parts of Tom's work, he's like made a game out of his job and like competes with other people in the lab, right? Like I can clean 10 beakers in two minutes. And he was like, I wonder if I can do that with mice because I have just become so immune to it. So he thought to himself, I'm alone in the lab. I'm going to try to inject this mouse with the paralytic and do an evil laugh at the same time because I bet that that is how numb I have become to this. So he starts injecting the mouse and he goes, oh no, that felt terrible. And he couldn't finish the laugh. He was like, no, ha ha, like couldn't do the last two ha ha's. And to me, what this says about context is that the context did still really matter to Tom, even though the fact that this was cancer research had gone from being front of mind to being more background noise. He still needed that context in order to justify paralyzing mice. And if he started pretending that it was a game or a performance or something silly, he couldn't actually do it. And I think that that's true of our whole lives, right? Like the first time you're in a car, you're like, oh my God, this is a really big deal. And then the 8,000th time you're in a car, you're like, this isn't a big deal. But you still are aware that you're driving and that you're in a car and that it is different from other places. And I think that this distinction is really important when places like Hogwarts are changing slowly. People are starting to notice the slight context shifts and the things that they took for granted about Hogwarts, you know, that like learning was able to happen in a certain way, are shifting. And so the things that they weren't necessarily noticing are becoming very clear to them because of the presence of Umbridge. Hmm. Anytime we get to add a Disney villain laugh in our lives, I feel like it's a good time. But maybe this is the one exception. (laughs) I think Tom agrees with you and was like, oh, I found the limit of that. Yeah. It's like, not here, not now. (laughs) While petting a dog very gently. Yes. (laughs) Also, while doing the 30 second recap, Vanessa. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Will you count me in? Happily. On your mark. Get set. Go. So Harry is still really annoyed at everyone. He keeps snapping at Hermione and Ron. Hermione's living her best prefect life. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to leave breakfast early. And then they have a like whole day full of classes and Professor Bins and divination. And like tension keeps building until they arrive at their next uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts class. This is the first time that Umbridge is in charge. And she says, we're going to take a theoretical approach. And you have to just read page, read page five. And Hermione's like, no. And I'm putting my, my hand. And she keeps her hand. And, and then the whole class erupts into terrible things. And then Harry is sent to McGonagall 
one. She says, have a biscuit, Potter. <laughs> I know. Why isn't this chapter called Have a Biscuit? It's I, When I got there, I was like, ah, oh, truly the greatest quote from the series. <laughs> I know. I always love talking about what we're working on with my kids. And I was like, we're doing the Have a Biscuit chapter. And both of them were <laughs> like, ah, oh, the Have mm, a Biscuit chapter. That one. All right, Vanessa, 30 seconds on the clock. Here we go. Three, two, one. So Hermione is trying to shut down Fred and George doing like recon testing on small children. They are really excited about their business, which is great. Um, they go to all their classes. Snape is abusive to Harry again, of course. And then they go to Umbridge. And Umbridge does not want to discuss that Voldemort is on the rise again. And Hermione is like, um, am I even going to get a good education here? But Harry refuses to lie and is like, Voldemort killed Cedric. And so he gets sent to McGonagall's office. And McGonagall's like, sorry, you do have to be in trouble. But here's a cookie. <laughs> all of this talk about biscuits makes me want to go get a cookie. <laughs> So, Vanessa, I feel like we should start with the big showdown, right? This is Umbridge being introduced in all her terrifying glory, not only to us as the readers, but like the whole class. We see her totally invert what has often been people's favorite class. At least that's what I'm reading on to the students. And she has some valid points. I want to start there. She's like, you have had a very choppy education with very different approaches. You were literally tortured by your last teacher. And one of the students is like, but we learned a lot. <laughs> Which, again, not the point. So, you know, she's coming in with a solid foundation of, of wanting to create some uniformity and structure. However, what she wants to do is to completely take away all the practical elements of the class. And so she says, one's away, quills out. And there starts her kind of approach to education. She wants to change the context of the classroom. This is going to be a theoretical learning experience. And what turns the tide, interestingly, is not necessarily that. It's that the students are fearing for their exam results. Because already we've had all of this anxiety. The twins have been talking about what comes after hours with newts and stress. And you have to choose your career and blah, blah, blah. And some of the students are like, hang on. The first time we're trying this for real is in the exam. That's insane. And so she loses a lot of support in, in that moment. But I feel like the, the context really changes when Hermione raises her hand and won't put it down. And you slowly see more and more students stop reading and turn to look at Hermione. And the text tells us that when more than half the classroom does that, that's when Umbridge feels forced into responding because the context has changed. And it just was such a good illustration, honestly, of like a lot of social justice campaigns of like just trying to draw people's attention away from what they should be doing in terms of what the state wants or what, whatever the power control system wants you to do and drawing attention to this lone hand in the air that's saying, I have a question. Yeah. And it totally disrupts the context. Yeah, right. The context of this room that Umbridge wanted was, I am now in control. You have had a bad education until now. I am here stepping in on behalf of the Ministry of Magic. This is going to be what we are up to this year in this classroom. She is trying to set a certain context within these walls and say, right, which she started at the feast the other night. This is about order. This is about uniformity, right? This is about the ministry making sure that you all get a good education. That is the context for why I'm here. And Hermione is like, no, it's not. That is not the context for why you're here, right? And Hermione has been suspicious about this the whole time. But she is starting, to your point, this protest where she's trying to get other people on her side and say, like, this context that she is pretending she has is nonsense. She is here with an agenda, which is an anti-Harry, anti-admitting that Voldemort is rising again pro-ministry agenda. And Hermione is trying to force that information out of umbrage of like you are lying about what context you are here in the thing that really struck me was that like she umbrage is so intense about hands up like if you have a question like she's just like shouting that by the end of the classroom and hermione's strategy is to raise her hand right like she's not speaking out of turn she's not like dropping a banner from the back of the room and this is not me saying that those are not effective tactics let me be very clear but what she is able to do is to persuade the kind of persuadable middle right she's turning the tide of the rest of the class to support 
what she then asks about. And you see that Umbridge is then peppered with questions, not just from the trio, but from students across the classroom. By shifting that turn of opinion, she is then able to ask a question which has way more power than if she'd come out straight with it while everyone was still reading page five. And so like, I don't know, I, I looked at Hermione this chapter, and I was like, ooh, damn girl. <laughs> like, you get, Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm gonna be able to flip you to my side yeah, with exactly. like fear of OWL results. I'm gonna be able to flip you to my side by pointing out how boring this is gonna be if we just sit here and read all year. <laughs> exactly. I'm gonna shift you to my side by being scared of the fact that Voldemort is on the rise and we might actually need to protect ourselves. And she has like a different argument. You know, it's sort of like that song in Music Man where he's like getting everyone to join yes. the band. He's like, kids are going to start playing pool, you know, but Hermione <laughs> is like doing that tap dance, but is doing it under. She is pretending to operate in the context yes. that Umbridge Yes. has said, right? She's like, okay, you say you want this classroom to be about order. I will play along with that. I think you're full of it. I don't think that that's actually why you're here. I think you are here with fascistic intents, but like, let's both pretend mm. as long as I can pretend in order to get what I want. So Hermione is so brilliant, right? Because what she's pointing to is that Umbridge is lying about what the context is, right? Mm. The context is objectively that Voldemort is alive, is embodied, has killed Cedric, and the ministry doesn't want to admit it. Mm -hmm. And that is what is actually going on in this room. That is the unspoken thing that is absolutely going on in this room. I think you're so right. It's this kind of revealing of the context towards the rest of the class. That's what's happening. I will say one of the great happinesses in this project is when the word that we're looking for, like the theme, shows up in the chapter and it literally does in Umbridge's third rule. So I want to just read for you the three course aims that she reveals on the blackboard. Please. Number one, understanding the principles underlying defensive magic. Useful. Number two, learning to recognize situations in which defensive magic can legally be used. This seems pointed and unhelpful. <laughs> and then number three, placing the use of defensive magic in a context for practical use. Now, that actually, I think, is really helpful. And I think the students could really do with some of that. <laughs> because turns out a dueling club is maybe not the way to like learn or, you know, just being terrified by like real life situations. And so thinking about like teaching contexts, right? Like placing students in a sort of simulation in which they get to practice and learn and then analyze and critique and understand, like that is really helpful. And I think what's so masterful about the confrontation is that Hermione already has no trust in Umbridge. And I think this is the moment in some ways where the DA is formed because she is using the context of that classroom and that conflict to recruit people to her cause. And yeah. so she's running the learning experience for the students, not Umbridge. I love everything about your point. But one of the things that I really love is that this learning goal is actually an important learning goal about context, right? That placing the use of defensive magic in a context for practical use, teaching children when it is the wrong and right context to do something, yeah. right? Like if if I'm in a store with you and you're helping me shop and I ask, do you like this shirt? And you go, no, that looks horrible on you. That is helpful information. If I meet you at a party <laughs> and I'm in the shirt and I say, how do I look? And you say, that looks horrible on you. Like that is, it is still true. But it is, like, not appropriate because the context has changed so yeah. widely. And yeah. I think that teaching people, like, I remember this was something that my dad was really big on of, like, read the room, right? Like, not everything is appropriate in every context. And I think that that's one of the difficult things about being a kid. You're like, well, we talk about poop at home. Oh, but we don't talk about poop at school, right? Like, whatever. Or, like, at least I knowingly am disrupting that norm by talking about poop <laughs> at school. But I, I think that that's one of the things that's really hard about being a person in the world is like, what is appropriate in which context? And so, yeah, this would be great if that's actually what Umbridge wanted to teach them. It's just not. She's full of it. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Pros. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people. Not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I use the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. But here's my question for you. So... I'm wondering if we think McGonagall is reading the context of what's happening correctly here. So Harry becomes really combative with Umbridge. Hermione is playing a long con where she's like, I'm slowly going to bring everybody in this room onto my side and together we're going to point out the hypocrisy of Umbridge. And Harry is like, I am just going to scream truths loudly and, you know, we will see. And to be clear, I am a Harry. I am like, when in doubt, scream truths loudly. (laughs) That is like really very much how I walk through the world. But Umbridge obviously can't take that, right? Like she can pretend to not understand what Hermione is up to, but she cannot let Harry confront her in this way and pretend that she's living in the context in which she is pretending to be in and allow Harry to speak like that. She has to perform that Harry is lying in order to maintain the ministry's line. So Harry gets sent to McGonagall to be punished. And McGonagall, in this lovely moment, says, have a biscuit, right? She gives Harry a cookie. She's like, I agree with you. Umbridge is full of it. Umbridge is bad news. But we have to pretend, we have to agree to the context that Umbridge is pretending that we're in. Can I read the question she asks? Yeah. I think it, it illustrates this so exactly right. She said, do you think this is really about truth or lies? It's about keeping your head down and your temper under control. Right. So McGonagall, right, is saying Umbridge doesn't care about the truth. Umbridge cares about controlling you. And so let her just control you. And to me, we will see McGonagall later in this book not handle it like that, right? Like (laughs) not just keep her head down. To me, this is a sign that McGonagall has not figured out how much her context has changed. She is a frog in water that is turning warmer and it is not yet warm enough for McGonagall to be like, oh, I got to jump out. Well, here's a question, because I can imagine McGonagall being like, this is only for a couple months. Exactly. You, you know, like, I that's the story I've I think she's telling herself. I've seen teachers come herself. and go. I've been exactly. here for 50 years. Dumbledore's going to fix this, right? Like, we just need to weather the storm. Like, I think that's what's happening in her head. Totally. And I think you're exactly right that it's not a, oh, what was orange is now blue. 
And I need to massively change the game. I need to be hosting house meetings every night. I need to be changing the spells on my door to make sure that, like no one can get in. I need to be building Dumbledore's army, right? Like if McGonagall had made that switch earlier at this point in the books, it would have been a totally different story. I don't think she's afraid. I don't think fear is the issue. She's certainly no, aware of the risk. No, I think she's too trusting in Dumbledore. I think she's too trusting in Dumbledore. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't think that she is as confident or maybe she doesn't know that the ministry like sent dementors to Little Winging yeah. to kill Harry, right? Like there was a murder attempt on Harry. And I think Dumbledore fully understands that and McGonagall doesn't. Which and is then a failure on Dumbledore's part to not totally. be sharing this analysis. <laughs> totally. And Dumbledore doesn't handle this information drastically enough either. Like yeah. th this, there was an attempted murder on a child. Like, let's talk about it. But I do think I'm not judging McGonagall for it. I am really seeing myself in McGonagall, whereas mm. like the context has totally changed around you and you don't see it yet. And I think that that's how fascism rises. And that's why people with more privilege are later to join in understanding that fascism is on the rise because McGonagall's life hasn't changed that much. Like, she's not going to have to interact with Umbridge. Like, she's kind of always wanted Harry to keep his head down a little bit more, <laughs> right. too. And like, I don't know. If, you, if you're just going to have to behave better for a year and that's what's happening because we need to, <laughs> you know, check a couple of boxes with the ministry, so be it. But she doesn't right. understand. And again, like, I'm not judging her for it. I'm just observing. She does not understand that this is a totally different context than previous years at Hogwarts. This is a non sequitur, but I am so compelled, as I have been throughout this reread, by Umbridge's choices of how to present herself and her very withheld very quiet very like you know even the way she does the pink slip it's very calm mm -hmm. and i'm suddenly imagining her on a saturday morning alone in her classroom practicing different ways of being and she probably also went i can't pull that off <laughs> <laughs> no i do think that i think umbridge's cell is a brilliant one. Yeah, right? it's so smart. I would be compelled by it as a student who liked a classroom with order. Absolutely. If someone came in and was like, it's been chaos in here for the last four years. You have not been following a curriculum. A like psychopathic murderer was your teacher last year. And like a Gilderoy Lockhart who knows nothing <laughs> and it like robs people's memories. And then someone possessed... You know, like, we got to get on werewolf. the same page here. Yeah. Right. I, I, you know, whatever. Lupin was a great teacher. But, like, if I'm in that classroom, I'd be like, oh, my God, finally. <laughs> like, someone right. who's just, like, going to teach and, like, follow a curriculum. So, no, she's, like, very cunning in the fictional context that she is presenting into this room. I want to go to one other classroom that we see in this chapter, which is the divination classroom. Harry has run away from the meal and is the first outside the North Tower trap door and, and gets inside, which is ironic because, of course, we know how much he loves this class. But <laughs> for me, this was a really interesting exploration of how context can be manipulated, not to the like fascistic ends of, of Umbridge, but something that might feel more familiar to us as, you know, well, that's sadly, sadly still fascistic context all around us. But what I was going to say is like something we might have experienced in a classroom context ourselves, which is when someone kind of creates a vibe or an expectation or a context, you might say, in which you are kind of forced to share stuff that you don't want to share. And I've seen this a lot in workshops and I have probably been guilty of setting this up as well. And I'm now just so allergic to it. Like, I feel it coming and I'm like, rant, 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 abort, abort, get out of here. Because essentially what Trelawney is setting her students up to do is to share their dreams with each other. Now, on the one hand, that might be a really nice, reflective, like artistic exercise. But with Trelawney's focus, it's usually about like death or some like terrible thing that's coming to you. And so having students read each other's dreams, like having them share stuff that they might not want to share, like it feels like an invasion or it feels like there's not enough safety and respect set up in the classroom to meet and and welcome that kind of sensitive information. And it, for me, this just was such an illustration of like setting up context that can do harm in the guise of, of education, but in a different way from Umbridge. So I, that, that just struck me as another place where we see a, a kind of context being built in, in the chapter. 
And again, another context being lied about, right? Trelawney is saying this is a safe space. This is a safe space for you to share your dreams. And it's not a safe space, you know, right. like in a space does not become safe by declaring it so. Right. And so, you know, she's pretending that this is a context that it's not. This is not a therapist's office. This is not, you know, an office where any guardrails have been put into place to try to make it a safe space. There's no agreement of confidentiality. There's no like mandated reporter or like idea of, oh, if I hear something really disturbing, this is what I should do. There are no trigger warnings. Like there's nothing going on to actually make this a safe space. And she's just pretending that it is. She's pretending that because it's got a good vibe and she's like burning incense and it's warm up there that that's it. Like I did it. I also think there's such an interesting connection between just the way in which Trelawney, you know, we're going to see is so insecure about her own like gifts and about her role as a teacher. Like that insecurity just kind of bleeds into what she creates for her students, I think. I don't know. I I think about parenting a lot in, in this way, right? Like we bring the stuff we haven't processed into relationship with the kids that we care for. And so that feels like that's what's happening in this classroom as well. It's like that that inner security is not there. And so she's creating that insecure space for, for the students as well. Yeah, that's something that we, you know, I, I worked for this like leadership training program for six years, training teachers to become principals. And that was something that, you know, was talked about again and again, that like, you are going to be confronted with the things that are hardest for you constantly because as a leader, as the tone setter at this school, like your insecurities are going to be projected. And so like you got to deal with your own stuff because you are going to create a really difficult context for yourself unless you deal with your own stuff. And boy, Mm, boy, is uh, that what (laughs) Dumbledore is up to. So Vanessa, this week we are practicing Florilegia, which invites us both to bring a quote that sparkles for us in this chapter and then put them in conversation with each other. And I chose this lovely little moment from an interaction that the trio has with Cho, where Hermione asks, who cares if she supports the tornadoes? What's your <laughs> What's your quote? The one that sparkled up at me is said by Fred, but he is speaking on behalf of himself and his twin brother, George. It's in this conversation with Hermione, Ron, and Harry about the experimenting that they are doing and recruiting, you know, Gryffindor students to be experimented upon. And they're also talking about how hard they studied for the OWLs and the fact that they didn't pass a lot of OWLs. And what Fred says is, we feel our futures lie outside the world of academic achievement. Oh, I love that so much. What sparkled about it for you? Why why did you choose this quote? I think it is fascinating because it speaks to the fact that they actually have thought about this, that this is not like, we don't care about school. <laughs> like, they are like, our future is somewhere, right? Like, they have thought about their futures. It's just mm. not along the same path as other people's. And so I think what spoke to me about it was just like the confidence of it. I, you know, have I think many of us who don't feel this way are very jealous of people who know what they want to do and who like are like, no, I have known since I was 15 that I want to be a doctor and like this is the path I'm going to follow. And then they follow it and they actually were right. And it's very fulfilling for them. It's like a very frustrating thing to be on the outside of. And that can look bad for a really long time, I think. You know, for people who want to be artists, for people who know that what they want to do doesn't have a clear path like medical school, it can be a really hard trudge. And Fred and George have a lot of those demons to fight. You know, they are being questioned by Ron and Hermione and Mrs. Weasley about whether or not their path is right, but they're just so calm in their sureness, right? Like, we feel our future lies outside of the world of academic achievement. Like, we've thought about it and no thanks. Oh, that's beautiful. What about you? Why did your quote sparkle up at you? Who cares if she supports the tornadoes? 
I mean, it works for me on so many different levels. Like, first of all, Hermione is just so much more mature. Like that, right? She is able to understand different layers of social interactions. She's she's so clear about what matters in a way that Ron is not. For me, it also reveals that in the same interaction, you know, if there's five people in a conversation, five people are paying attention to five very different things, right? Five different things are at stake. For Ron, it's his integrity as a sports fan. And he's like, why do you get to claim, right? <laughs> that is the most that, important thing. Absolutely. This is a core no of my identity. Yes, because it like, it, it, it's such a core part of who he is. And here comes Cho and she's probably just one of those people who like, yeah, just claim the crown having never been in the trenches, you know? So for him, it's like a personal attack that she's got this button on. <laughs> and so poor Cho is just being a costed by this like sports are so stupid (laughs) but for him it's a personal attack absolutely something (laughs) i mean for my team right we all hate manchester united i'm a leeds fan and like we don't call them manchester united we call them scum and so like you don't even say the name like this is the kind of insanity that sports will take you to but all of which is to say i love it because it reveals just the incredible diversity of what is happening in our brains at any one moment. So let's put these two quotes together and see if there's something new that emerges. Would you read them for us, Vanessa? Happily. Who cares if she supports the tornadoes? We feel our future lie outside of the world of academic achievement. I mean, mm. this makes Fred and George, if it's Fred and George saying who cares if she supports the tornadoes, then it's that Fred and George don't care about anything other than their own futures. Ooh. Right? That they're Ooh, like, I I'll like do whatever that. I've got to do. I don't care if she supports the tornadoes. I don't care if you're prefect. I don't care about mom and dad. I just care about my own achievements. We know that's not true about Fred and George. But there is a little bit. I mean, I have to say, we see it at the very beginning of this chapter. There's a recklessness about the willingness to uh, like experiment on children, right? They're putting up posters about volunteer kids to like, you know, who are going to end up in the hospital wing. So there is a single mindedness and something a little bit tunnel vision and like who cares what everyone else thinks or what happens to everyone else in order for us to achieve our goals. Yes and no, right? They're like, we're not dropping out of school this year because Percy is already upsetting mom and we don't want to s- upset mom also. That's so, also like, true. I don't agree with their metrics, but there is some consideration. <laughs> but I do think that reading these two sentences in context with one another, yeah. you know, shows us that there there are real limits to their consideration in conversation with their ambition. What about you? What came up for you? The thing that comes up for me is kind of related to our theme again, because it is a rejection of a particular context, right? We feel our future lies outside of the world of academic achievement. And it's the same with with the tornadoes quote, like who cares what team you support? It's a rejection of the premise in which you are living, right? Whether it's a sports rivalry, whether, whether it's an education system that's set up, you know, that will reward some people and not others. There is something like 70s, like hippie counterculture slogan, turn on, Mm. tune in, drop out about this like combo. It's like a rejection of the status quo, a rejection of like the premise that society offers. And instead it's like, I'm going to move to a commune and like live in a loincloth and, you know, make a goat's oats, Mm. milk, sheep cheese or, you know, whatever. Knit my own yogurt. That's the kind of classic phrase. But I like the questioning of the premise that comes out from both of these quotes put into tandem. And what I like especially is that it illustrates that it's not just an academic system, but it's also like bread and circuses, right? Like sports, yes, as a beautiful vehicle to make friends and exercise and like be part of something bigger. But like, there's also a little something scary about like how it can be used to distract from the real issues that people face in their lives. Okay, should we read the sentences in the opposite order and see if anything magical happens to them? Let's do it. We feel our futures lie outside the world of academic achievement. Who cares if she supports the tornadoes? So this to me is saying that they care about the tornadoes, right? Like we think our lives are outside of academics, Mm. but Cho is still stupid. Like who even cares if she cares about the tornadoes? Like that's a bad team to care about. Like (laughs) this sounds much more defensive to Mm. me of... You know, someone sort of beginning the conversation with, well, what I believe is, 
it reeks of a defensiveness that I think is also probably true for the twins. Like, I think that they are very confident and they have each other. But I bet that there are times that they're back on their heels. What about you? Yeah, there's something very othering about this. And also, frankly, like in Dutch, the word is aangebrand, which literally means that you've been like burnt, like 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 food that's a little burnt. So like when you're irritated, you're aangebrand. So you, like you become yeah. brittle and a little mean and bitter and, you know, just like that kind of feeling. And that's what comes through here is like there's something... Yeah, there's like very little empathy. There's a little softness. It, it just becomes harsh. And so... Yeah, I I wouldn't see Hermione this way, but I can imagine if I was Ron and I feel like I've just, (laughs) I've asked a very valid question about your (laughs) honesty and integrity of your support. And now I'm getting shouted at by my friend. I've just been shouted at by by my other friend earlier today. Like I can imagine just feeling like I don't understand why do I end up being shouted at by everyone in my life. And so, yeah, there's just like a lack of softness that comes through you know, and I, I do have some sympathy for Ron. You know, he does get it from every angle. Now he puts himself in, in a position to be worthy of receiving it. But like, no wonder he ends up as a goalie just getting shot at all day. Like, that's what he's used to. <laughs> I just want to say, like, because we've talked about this theme of context, like, this is a worthwhile conversation for two sports fans to have in the context of discussing sports. Yeah. But Cho has come up to Harry to have a private conversation. <laughs> and Ron is not reading the context clues and is like, I want to talk about this other thing. If Cho and he were like, what sports team do you like? And we're like, totally. in a totally different context, this would have been a great conversation. So totally. I do think that this is on Ron. I don't think he's getting shot at. I think he was not reading the room. <laughs> Reading the room, not one of his top skills. Loyalty. And in some ways, he's being so loyal to his team to the point of oblivion for anything else, which totally is very right. Like that's why Hermione is like, you have no tact. (laughs) Thank you so much, Casper, for leading in this great spiritual practice. Oh, thanks for doing it with me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's time for our weekly voicemail, and we're hearing from Maria today. Hi, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. My name is Maria, and I'm calling from Alberta, Canada. I am behind. I've been listening intensely to your podcast from the very beginning over the last sort of three months, and I'm into uh, the second reading, the second time reading book four, I just listened to your episode on maturity. And in it, Vanessa has a Havruta question about the magic around the Goblet of Fire. And Max sort of concludes that conversation by saying that it's another example of the adults around Harry not doing enough to keep him safe. And I totally think that's true. And the thing that I think that was missing from that was that Dumbledore, throughout all of these books, is allowing Harry to do a lot of things and encouraging a lot of behavior 
because he's looking at Harry Potter as the means to defeating Voldemort for good. And so, you know, like he lets him do all these things that he wouldn't let any other kid do that prepare him for his eventual battle with Voldemort. And I think that this is just another example. I think that Dumbledore probably has the power. I think that there probably is, like Vanessa thinks, a way to game the system of what participation means. But Dumbledore, the most powerful wizard in this sort of room full of adults, is not is is saying, nope, that's just the rules. And the only other person who could maybe question that is Barty Crouch. And he's a rule-following man, even when he's not being sort of imperious by his son. So I think that is like an important question to ask as well, is does Harry Potter's sort of participation in the Goblet of Fire, does Dumbledore just see this as this is the way things are? Someone's done this for a reason, and we're going to play it through to the end to see what that reason is. Anyway, love to hear your thoughts about that. Maria, I love this question because I love whenever we bring skepticism to Dumbledore's um, agenda. I don't know. I don't know. I really do love this read. I just, if I am simply projecting, what I will say is that I do things without really understanding why I'm doing them a lot of the time. And so I I don't even know if Dumbledore has a clear motive for letting Harry be in the Four Wizard Tournament. I think that I but but who knows? Dumbledore is very goal oriented. What do you think, Casper? It's so difficult to say. I think there's also something about opportunism here, right? Like that there's something about like, oh, this is the situation I'm in. Let me think fast, make the most of it. I don't actually have time to think it all through. And so I do feel like there are many moments in which Dumbledore could probably extract Harry. But at that first moment, he's like, huh, oh, maybe there's an opportunity here. And then feels like it's worth sticking with that road. I'm also suddenly thinking, like, would he lose face if Harry was taken out of it? Like, is there some sort of way in which... Yeah, I I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that Dumbledore every time I read him, becomes less and less magical and more and more human. And so I read less and less kind of like brilliant mastermind into him and more and more someone who's at the end of their rope trying to do the best they can in the midst of a really, really difficult circumstance. So I feel like I see less genius and I have more empathy for Mm. him every time we read these books together. Yeah, I think he's just like doesn't always know what he's doing. Yeah. It's now time for us to remember the members of our community who have been loved and lost. This week, we remember Robin Hauptman Robert, who is 71, a favorite aunt with a loud, infectious laugh. Anuradha Krishna, who is 55, a lover of plants, walks, Netflix, and her family. Erica Delgado, 60. Founder of Women's Wrestling in the South, mother of four, and gone too soon. And Haker, 60, an auntie, sister, and secret keeper. May their memory be a blessing. So Casper, it's now time for us to bless characters in this chapter. I would like to bless our beautiful Cho Chang, who we already know is in a lot of pain. And she just like keeps walking up to a boy. But really, what struck me this time is that Harry notices that Cho comes up to him alone. And she used to have sort of a group of girlfriends who she was walking around with. And you know, we don't know why she isn't with her group of friends, if she feels misunderstood, if they are sort of tired of her being tearful or what's going on, but she is more isolated than ever. So I just want to offer a blessing for anyone who's feeling isolated from their friends right now and is trying to reach out. And that's a really tough place to be in. And Cho is right there with you. Mm. What about you, Casper? Who would you like to bless? 
I want to bless Dean Thomas. Um, mm. Dean, at the very beginning of the chapter, is the one who says, don't worry about it, Harry, right? About Seamus, who's 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 being difficult. And at the end, in the Umbridge classroom, he's the one who doesn't raise his hand and says, if you mean Professor Lupin, he was the best we ever, you know. And I just think Dean, in this chapter, again and again, is showing up, you know, in our view as a support act. But like, just as we talked about in the conversation, the context wouldn't change without people like Dean stopping reading and looking at Hermione. And I, I just want to lift up the power of the follower in this way that Dean offers us. Like the follower, not in a, in a degrading sense, but in someone who says that person is doing something important and I'm going to stand by them. And Dean does that over and over and again in the books and, and, and at least twice in this chapter. So for anyone who maybe doesn't think of themselves as a leader, but stands next to someone who's leading and says, I'm with you, a blessing for you. Next week, we're going to be reading Book 5, Chapter 13, Detention with Dolores. And Matt Potts is going to be telling us a story on the theme of pressure. Just a few reminders before we give our thanks. We have ad-free episodes if you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or through our Patreon. We also have that great pilgrimage coming up with me, Casper, and Ariana. We are going to be treating Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban as sacred. We hope that you join us. This was a Not Sorry production. We're a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Caitlin Hoffmeister. We are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. This week's voicemail was from Maria. Thank you, Maria. And thanks also to Lara Glass, Ariana Nettleman, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Willison, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehack, Courtney Brown, Matt Potts, Stephanie Purcell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. <laughs> All right. Will you count me in? Happily. You know you time yourself now? Yeah. Okay. You know you're handsome? Mm, thanks. Okay.